and welcome back to the Football Index podcast. I've just come off recording with Football Index Frog and you guys listening right now will have listened to that a week ago. But now on episode 97, I'm talking to Gavin or Taking Value on uh, Twitter. How are you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Very, very well. And this has been a long time coming. You promised me a podcast appearance ever since uh, you got on Twitter and got on Football Index. I think we started chatting straight away as soon as you joined. And you've wrote a blog at one point, I think, talking about kind of uh, uh, the value betting on Football Index. Yeah, I mean, I showed up on Football Index Twitter and tried to explain with the limited character count why I thought um, uh, any share you buy is going to have to achieve over 100% of its purchase price. And then I was hit with like a, a media storm. It turns out football index Twitter can be quite hostile. So I was like, Ooh, okay, <laughs> well, I'll probably just put it in a blog post because this isn't going to fit into uh, something with limited character count. <laughs> yeah, I think the most interesting that you think that you talked about in that blog, and I know we'll get into the intricacies of everything that you want to discuss further in, but you talked about how when FI IPO players at a higher price, we're getting a worse deal, which a lot of people yeah. don't really understand. So why don't you dumb that down for me and everyone else that's listening it's to do with the, the if the dividend payout if you've got a player and they're going to pay out say a pound over a given time frame then you the lower that you're buying that player for the more value that's in the bet basically so if everyone is ipo'd at say uh, one pound and say the dividends were 10p a piece um so every time there was a win and they had X amount of wins, you get a better yield on that pound than if, say, they up the IPOs to £2, but don't increase the dividend payouts by the same amount. So when yeah. they aren't increasing the MB and PB payouts, then the market as a whole has less value in it. Mm, I was about to ask you about dividends, but we're going to get into that because, yeah, I'm, I'm just getting ahead of myself, getting excited. Before we get into these questions, this episode is brought to you by Real Fancy Football. Tired of all the teams in your fancy football league having the same players, bored already after one game week well play real fancy football it's draft style so you have unique teams there's head-to-head competition every single week and playoffs too it's not too late to start a league and you can start any time during the season so if you're looking for a league where Salah, sterling and kane are not on every team go to real fancy football and sign up today that's real ff.co.uk real r-e-e-a-l ff.co.uk. I forgot to ask my classic question of uh, what your football index journey has been at, like, uh, Gavin. How rude of me. Uh, it's been pretty good, yeah. Um, I was on uh, Boo Book originally. I don't know if uh-huh. you know that. Oh, yeah, I do remember that, that old yeah. uh, thing. So that failed. Why don't you explain to people what that was who, who weren't around by then? Basically, if you go back a bit further than that, I used to play fancy football quite a bit. Um, and I always used to end up with a higher team value at the end of um, the season, as most people do. Um, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was um, a football stocks and shares at some point? Someone's <laughs> got to come up with this. And then Book was the one that came up on my radar. I hadn't heard of Football Index, although it was going on at the same time. And Book basically was supposed to do what Football Index did. But when it launched, all it had was match day markets. Mm. It was a bit more towards fancy football, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I, I seem to remember it was just match day when I logged in. I, we weren't, I wasn't supposed to be able to get an account. Me and a mate actually managed to get an account. And then one of the guys contacted us and said, actually, this is supposed to be a beta. It wasn't supposed to be open to the public. But they let us on anyway. But I wasn't interested in it. I'm not interested in just match day yeah. um, settlement. It's why sports stack doesn't really appeal to me all that much either. Mm. I'm, I'm not interested in a match day thing. But then when I found Football Index, it was just as they introed PB. If it had just been Media Buzz, I don't really get that. I wouldn't have been that interested. But when they introed PB, I thought, yep, this is brilliant. We'll, we'll have to get on this and see what it's about. Yeah, and I think Boabook was, um, or Boabook, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it, no, was, uh, it was regulated by the FCA, wasn't it? Which was another. Oh, I didn't know that, was it? I think it was. I think it was. I don't know why. I think okay. that. Should I, should I check it out? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't remember, to be honest with you. I just remember thinking it was a pretty crap product. <laughs> I mean, whew, I wonder if we can find out. If I'm just scrolling on Twitter, where would I find if they are regulated by the FCA? They're not around anymore. I know they're not, but they would have still had a registration, right? Um, yeah. yeah. I found them. Okay. I found them. Sports Trades LTD, and then it's got the two guys. It's www.boisbook.com. They were regulated by the Chief Financial Conduct Authority. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, see, I do my research, but I also you do. do it, you know, during during the show as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got it all here. If you guys want to check it out, it's. Uh, I'm not saying anything uh, confidential. It's just. Uh, it's all on the FCA registry. Anyway, <laughs> did you try that at all? Were you on Boisbook? I had a look at it, but it very much looked. 
a lot more like spread betting and yeah. I was kind of like, I don't really know the world of gambling well enough, let alone kind of going up a level because I only ever started betting during the World Cup when I turned 18. That was kind of like a, oh, let's kind of bet on bloody Cuba against whoever it is to, to make the games, <laughs> the, uh, games interesting, right? And doing stuff like, you know, David Luiz to score a goal during a game uh, for Brazil. That was the World Cup that they eventually lost to Germany, like 7-1 or whatever. And then I went and did quite a bit of match betting. And then that's when the kind of Facebook algorithm started picking up that I was constantly searching various different, you know, betting platforms to match to, to arbitrage the bets. And then that's where I found Football Index. And then obviously at the same time, I was like, oh, let me, you know, do the background research. And obviously I was very meticulous and diligent in that or so I like to think, and, and came across Barbook, and it just was more towards kind of the scary spread betting. But I don't know, it just, it was kind of like, oh, you know, if a player achieves, you know, this is like fancy football, but if they get this many points or that many, but you could lose this much and that, I don't know. It was just a lot harder to understand than Football Index, which is saying a lot because FI is kind of complex. Yeah, it, uh, it's got a lot more complex. Um, they're having a, a hard time adding new features, aren't they? Um, trying to make it simple enough that a, a newcomer can understand it. Yeah, I mean, there was so much chat about going into decimal places, wasn't there, at some point, And that just was wiped away so, so quickly with a swift, this is too complicated. Yeah, I'm not certain that's a, that would be a fantastic idea. The other thing which would be interesting, I thought it would die a death, was the matching engine that NASDAQ are supposed to be providing them with. <laughs> so I, I thought that was going to die a death. I was surprised well, to it hear it mentioned It went very quiet, again. didn't we? And um, yeah. I seem to think now that I'm thinking with my kind of, I work in financial services hat, um that that was probably because uh nasdaq didn't want anything to kind of let slip and they wanted to do like a proper pr release yeah they were probably telling fi to shut up right yeah possibly i don't understand quite how it will work though i'm i know what a because um but if you look at the uh the markets and you get the full market debt on betfair i mean most of those markets look barren and they probably have a higher turnover and liquidity than uh, football index so I'm wondering how this is it, this is going to look. It might scare the hell out of people holding the shares when they realise there's, there's nothing on either side of the book. Well, it's going to put a greater emphasis on dividends, isn't it? Well, yeah, it depends. I mean, I assume that the liquidity that is offered at the moment from the instant sell will still need to be there in some yeah, way. Yeah, somehow. I mean, there was over a million traded on the Man U-Chelsea game, for example. So we're still going to have big disparity between games in terms of, you know, Union Berlin against like Werder Bremen is not going to have that much liquidity compared to United, Arsenal or Liverpool, whatever. Yeah, no, it's true. But um, the million traded. But if you were to look at the stats on that, you'll probably find, um, I don't know, most of that will be in play. 25% probably beforehand, 75% in play. How much liquidity is there in any given player? I mean, obviously your messies will probably have a fair bit of liquidity in them. And if you displayed that on an order book, perhaps that wouldn't look too horrific. But if you display some of the younger players, it might put off trading. What I'm saying is football index need as much trading to happen as possible. Volatility is how they get paid. So if you have anything that looks bad, um, if the market thinks it's bad, even when it isn't, then it might put people off trading. So I can't imagine just seeing a barren order book. I think there'll have to be the instant buy and sell still there. I agree to some extent, but I tend to look at how the, I think Panda, when he's come on the show before, has talked about like, how the market's matured a lot in terms of a player gets injured or actually maybe it was um dan bishop from um index game when he was talking about how players get injured they go down 15 percent. people look at it as that as an opportunity that they don't get scared and i think with order books you might see greater crashes but the players will only go so low before someone picks them up because of the dividends on on offer and to your point that might be scarier on youth players because the dividends off on offer are um, they're not non-existent, but they're a lot more harder to read or you're looking more at their potential dividends rather than their instantaneous ones. Do you think you'll see orders at each price point on the order book then? Because that's I don't think you'll see it fill up that much beyond the actual uh, bid and offer that's there. I don't think you'll see much behind it. That's my mm. point. I don't think there'll be much there. That m- it might look alarming to people. To- yeah, I don't think they will. And maybe it will just be what it looks like now. Do you know what I mean? And have the, yep. the order book in the background. That would probably make more sense. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they'll go down that route. Maybe, maybe. Well, before we get into the actual questions and before we, you know, uh, people just sit here for an hour and listen to us just go back and forth talking about random things, just need to plug uh, <laughs> Football Index uh, podcast episode 100. Are you coming along? I won't be in London, actually. Oh. Sorry about that. Otherwise, I would be. Well, if you are in London on the 7th of September and you do want to come watch the episode 100 live, which has got Sam Friedman, myself, uh, Lee, SOTD, and Tall Bob FI talk about Football Index and 
what's been going on, you can go ahead over to bit, so bit.ly forward slash 2gf3zyf, or just search Football Index on Eventbrite. And uh, yeah, tickets are actually going really quick. Um, gutted you can't make it there, Gavin. But uh, yeah, they, they are actually selling like hotcakes, it seems. I think we're, there's only like a quarter left, which is... You said it was going to sell out, didn't you? Well, I thought it would sell out, but I thought what would happen would be like, I'd get like an initial flurry of orders and then it'd like be a slow trickle. And then like a week before, everyone would be like, oh, I'm actually in London or actually I'm available on that Saturday night to go watch a few blokes talk about Football Index in my spare time and uh, I'll buy a ticket for a tenner. And so, uh, yeah, that's actually happening sooner than I thought, which is obviously great. But let's get into the questions. Uh, Stamford, the lion, Lukey0625 uh, on Twitter. The results of this poll show that of the 400 who responded, 85% want to see data surrounding dividends and past performance. Do you think providing data to traders should be higher on FI's priorities to broaden the appeal of this platform to existing and new users? To existing users, yeah, we would all like it. But then at the same time, we've already migrated to platforms like Index Gain to get the stats that we need. So yeah. how much would it broaden the appeal to us now? I mean, it would be good if it was there for free. But at the same time, the prices on things like Index Gain are perfectly reasonable. So I'm not certain how much it would broaden the appeal to us. And then would it broaden the appeal to anyone who's actually going to join? Um, I don't know. I don't think that you could communicate that. And we have stats in an advert. I think there's other things that would draw them in. Not saying Football Index shouldn't do it. It would be great if they did it. I would understand if it wasn't perhaps their priority. I'm also quite cynical as well with regards to if you look at how Football Index need a lot of volatility and they need a lot of speculation. And if you provide too many stats, then people might be able to price the market a bit more efficiently. They might be worried about that. So that might be one of the reasons they hold back on it. So I've just put out a video that basically talks about how we value players. And it's off the back of, I don't know if you read Sam Friedman's article on Index Gain about valuing players. And it was kind of along the same line as your blog. And it basically, I basically talks about how, you know, we're in a very young market that doesn't really have much data. And therefore, you can project a player to be, you know, the next Ronaldo, when in actual fact, their data or past data probably projects them to be, you know, nowhere near that. Yeah, well, then you get into modelling, into how you model. So when I was first looking into how to maybe model what players would be worth, I was thinking you could do it in a forward-looking way whereby you look at the stats that have gone on to be great players have put out and then see which youth are putting out those same stats now. Um, Or you could do it in a backward-looking way, which is to take all the output of the entire index and maybe start looking at that in terms of strikers, um, defenders, or on an age basis, and then trying to figure out who pays out what based on maybe position um, you, you see it done with MB where people evaluate um, who's likely to get the MB wins based on teams, etc. You can see Man United, for instance, do quite well out of it. So they're the two different ways you can model the data. Yeah, I just don't know. The data thing, I think there's two parts to this, right? So FI haven't really been um, warm to third-party content creators or data providers in general. And that doesn't mean that they've haven't been they? cold to them. No, no. What I'm trying to say is that like, for example, there isn't an API that you can plug in. Right? Oh, really? I wondered that. So, is that, so how do Index Gain collect the stats then? They... Uh, I think it's manual. Wow. Okay, that's impressive then. Um, I assume there would be an API. Okay. So, truth be told, I actually don't know. Um, they okay. they are very smart, but I do know that DCA and Bishop have already got a lot of stats themselves. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, if you know the matrix, obviously, like you can just get the stats from other places. I suppose. Oh, that increases my cynicism then in that case. If they haven't got an API and they aren't giving out stats on the payout, it's probably because they don't want someone to model their market and understand where the, the weak points are, basically, would be my my <laughs> guess. <laughs> yeah, that's with your cynic hat on. Yeah, basically. So so basically, there aren't any APIs like there are in Betfair. And basically, what an API is, if you're listening and you're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? It's basically just a plug-in. Imagine just like a USB cable into like a database that then allows a third party to come and freely access data or certain data that FI allow them to access. So if FI had a API for kind of previous uh, scoring, you as a third party, if you're like index gain, or even if you're just an average Joe, uh, plug into it if they allow you to and take that data. But yeah, maybe with your cynic hat on, they want people to know. If the market was completely efficient, then when a player was IPO'd, um, it would be uh, fastest click wins. So people would buy that player knowing it was undervalued, ignore the ones that aren't. And then if every other market participant was as efficient, they would never try and speculate on those players. So you would have no volatility. Um, and if I wouldn't get the fees. So the market will become more efficient as more and more stats become available. 
But wouldn't you still have speculation on players that don't have that much statistical batting, backing? Yes, but if you can have, you'd have less and less speculation. I, I mean, I was making the um, the scenario there where the market is completely efficient. No market is completely efficient, so you would never yeah. get to the point where there was no speculation. But the more knowledgeable the market becomes, the less speculation there is, and the less yeah. speculation there is, the less volatility, the less amount can be derived from trading fees for FI. So it's a catch two twenty situation for everyone because obviously we need FI to be profitable, but as more data is available, people will figure out um, which players have the most value but by being able to model uh, more accurately which players are going to have a payout over, over any given time, over their career, basically. I do uh, agree so- with you to some extent, but don't you think like, you know, there are financial markets out there that aren't completely efficient? Because when they, some stocks IPO and they just like fall. So that would say that someone's priced them up wrong and then the market is then you know, pushing them towards their actual price or the market is inefficient and they're undervaluing that stock. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, Uber and Lyft would be a great example recently where the market was like, nah, not paying that. And, you know, they tanked on their, their opening days. So I'm not saying that it would ever be completely efficient. I'm just saying that the more stats and data that are out there, the sure. more efficient it would be. I do so agree, yeah, yeah, of course. I definitely don't think that it would be completely efficient. There'll always be some sort of speculation. Um, I always hope there'll be loads of speculation because some of the players I picked off have had great, great returns, but I don't see them anymore. Unfortunately, it's harder and harder to get people that are going to do like five, six hundred percent, and that's mainly my problem is, um, is the increased IPO prices. I can't buy. Was it Fabian Ruiz at twenty-two p or something, and he was already playing um, for Severe at the time and getting PB payouts. It's like you can't get that now. If they put a player like that onto the index now um they probably put him on at like one pound something yeah i mean we saw who was it uh Ravel morrison who's got like literally a one-year contract at sheffield united <laughs> about ipo for over a pound or something it's mad yeah it's crazy and that's you're not going to get a listed price that's the other thing if yeah. i have a problem with they're trying their best aren't they to make it equal for everyone but you see what happens to takafusa kubo for instance he's up to two pounds there's a hundred percent increase straight away so if you're not there playing the the fastest finger wins game to buy then you're not getting a shout, even if you think it is value. Yeah. I just wonder where this kind of data thing or whatever people want to call it actually sits in FI's priority list. Like, I think their tech clearly takes precedence and then they obviously have a big emphasis on marketing. I just don't really... Like, there's been murmurs on the forum about a new site and stuff, but there's there's been murmurs for that for ages. So where would you, if you were FI, rank this? Low, really low. I wouldn't be looking to give out the data. As I said, the data sites are there. And for the reasons previously mentioned, if you're FI, then we don't know how profitable they are, but obviously they're going to be doing everything to increase profitability. And that means they want more users and they want those users to trade more frequently. So if you look at it, that's basically their metric. The more trades they get, uh, the more of those 2% fees they take every single time. So anything that could increase the volatility is where my focus would be. And then with regards to the tech issues they've had, it is true that obviously that could be off-putting, but it hasn't. I haven't seen anyone leave because of the tech issues. We, we complain about them every single time, but at the end of the day, Football Index is still Football Index and we really like it. So, you know, the, I would say the tech, obviously they need to improve it, but it's not so bad that we're actually going anywhere. So if they're putting all of their money into marketing and they think that platform can cope the way it's coping at the moment, even if there's flaws with it, but if they can cope with the extra load, then from a business perspective, they are actually probably doing the right thing from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. FI Headhunter's got a question here. You've written in the past about wanting to build an algorithm to accurately determine the future price of any player on the index. Did you end up getting that built? And if so, how does it do on young players who haven't yet played senior games? So I, I think I also said that I, I thought it might be related to um, uh, options pricing as well. I thought the, the way you might price these, but it turns out it's not related to options pricing, which is good because I don't understand the math behind that. So that's quite handy that it isn't. But I did build a very basic Excel model, um, which has certainly helped me. So I, my net deposits are 2,300 and I've been on it just under two years and I'm up to about 12,200 now as a total value. So it's a small portfolio and I don't normally have more than maybe 17 players, but I try and pick the ones that have the absolute most value based on the model I've built, which is just a PB based model. Um, it's got some, uh, big inaccuracies in it, but the model only needs to get better and better as the market tightens. So as the market becomes more and more knowledgeable and the value that your model was showing you isn't there, then you need to improve it. So 
I, I know there's massive flaws in it, and I only do it quite casually as a hobby, but I was able to do it in Excel, but it took forever to get the, <laughs> the data to do it, which I, I, in the end, got off of um, Index Gain. So well done, Index Gain, and thanks very much for that. But it took forever for me to actually get it done. And I know it won't last in, in the long run. I'll need to improve it. To try and give you an idea of what it is when it comes to model progression and making it better, imagine if you had a model whereby, with traditional football, if you're trying to compute the odds, what you generally, or you, what you might try and do is figure out how many goals a team is likely to score in a game. And then that would correlate maybe to shots. And then after a while, maybe shots isn't good enough. You need shots on target. And then after a while, you'll find that so many people have that model. They're taking the price point that then you need to understand um, XG to um, have the best model out there. And I've read about people in, in the US who model baseball who have stats and percentages on every single player out there and what they're capable of. And that's how they come to the odds for that team winning. It'll be the same with Football Index in the end. People will build models. I bet Index Gain and that lot, they'll be up on this, I'm sure, with the data they've collected. They've got models which can approximate values on players. I'd be surprised if they haven't. Yeah, they're very smart guys. I wouldn't rule anything out, but obviously I don't know that they're doing anything like that. They do have some forward-thinking things, and I think um, Edge have done that in the past, Lee and um, Joel, where they've kind of like ran simulations, again, like how accurate they are and how many missing stats or data points they have i don't know but um it's yeah it's certainly interesting maybe something that kind of gets ends up being built you know on the layer on top of fi in the in the future yeah possibly um i I mean again i don't think it'll be football index that build it but someone like index game could definitely come up with one with the stats that they've got and it'd be a lot better than the thing i did in excel as well um (laughs) (laughs) very modest of you we've got a question here from uh, daily uh, what is the most important thing for Football Index to do, improve, implement over the next 12 months? Uh, from Football Index's perspective, it'd be to get more people onto the platform. Um, so advertising budget. Above the tech? Yeah, above the tech. I, as I said, I'm not of the... I know it, the common opinion out there is that the tech's really bad and needs to be fixed, but I don't actually see loads of people leaving the platform. I mean, I don't... You can't get these returns anywhere else. That's probably because of the... Yeah, because of the returns, right? Yeah. But that tells you, as long as the returns are there or still seem to be there, then tech it doesn't need to be much more than what it is. Uh, I'm, again, isn't that, from their date- perspective, from my perspective, yeah, sure, improve the tech. But from their perspective, if they're thinking, we need to get more people on, we need to get them to trade more, then the tech can take a, a back burner. Um, it wouldn't be the first thing. I, the second thing, maybe, from, but I wouldn't say to them it's, it's necessarily the first thing. Um, but that's pro- I know I'm not probably going to be popular in that opinion, but if I were Football Index, I'd say, we're getting some stick for this. We do need to improve it, but it's not the first. We we keep trying to improve it, but at the same time, just grow. Whatever you can do, just grow and get bigger. So I disagree on two points, right? Mm-hmm. You then, if you do that, you actually probably incur more risk on your business model because if profits do dry up, then you leave yourself in a situation, or let's just say there's a negative trend in Football Index for three weeks then you're spending a lot on marketing, which is attracting people into a market where people are losing money currently. And also those existing users are like, oh, crap, the texture anyway, let me just leave, right? The second thing I think is that if you spend a lot on marketing, there's a double-ended sword to this, right? If you spend a lot on marketing and you get more people into that funnel, there's and that funnel isn't very robust, aka the tech being the funnel, then it's harder to get people down into the platform. And we've seen that when there's loads of trading going on where their kind of like ledger system or their tech just kind of breaks, right? And it's just not very good. So for me, it's on two fronts. If you focus on marketing as your main, main priority, which I think they're doing, and I think you've kind of clearly alluded to it should be their priority, then you kind of risk your tech being stretched thinner and thinner when it's already kind of dubious, to say the least. And two, you run the risk of like when or if or in a situation where profits are harder to come by then you get that situation where people are like why am i actually sticking around yeah it's, it's a risk i guess it's a case of do you believe if you were football index do you believe it's going to get to that i mean only they know the true state of their tech um if they're working on it in the background and they feel it can cope with the influx at the same time then you make marketing number one and you make working on the tech number two wouldn't obviously wouldn't say you know wouldn't say stop working on the tech but my point is if if i could do it that way if i were football index and say yeah if we keep working on tech as number two it's it's going to get to where it needs to but whatever we do let's not just have a stagnant phase let's keep trying to grow user numbers that's what i would be saying and from their perspective they probably end up with more money anything that inflates the value of the market overall then inflates their income because not only they got more people trading but if the market value goes up then those two percent fees the the real amount is going to be more 
as well. So they've then got more money to spend on tech, theoretically. So it does depend on whether you believe that the market can grow to the extent that it crushes their their tech. But I don't think that that would happen. That's my belief. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tech, just actually before I move on, so you think mm-hmm. they should improve their marketing over the next 12 months? I don't know about improve. I mean, I see it on the tubes in London all the time. Um, so I, I don't know if it needs improving. It's just if you're going to allocate money somewhere, I'm, I'm sure they obviously still feel they can grow the platform. If we're talking about the way people talk about improving tech first, sometimes you get the impression they're saying, oh, we just slow down completely on the marketing. We don't want to take in more people at the moment. I would say that there's no scenario under which they should want to stop taking in people. They should always be wanting to grow it. I don't think the tech is so bad that it can't cope with growth. They just need to maybe catch up with the tech. So when I say tech isn't number one, what I mean is it shouldn't be number one and stop everything else. You've got to keep the marketing going. If I were them, that's what I would be looking to do. Mm. Well, now I'll do a proper segue. Nas- speaking of tech, the NASDAQ matching engine that we mentioned beforehand, um, what are your stronger thoughts? We've kind of talked around it a little bit earlier, but let's really d- dig deep into this one. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested to know. Uh, it was interesting to see NASDAQ actually come out and do a little video. And I think you posted, or maybe Football Index himself posted that. That was quite interesting to see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, it's just that it's that worry with the liquidity. And a matching engine doesn't need to be an exchange. If they don't show the entire order book and the order book depth, then I wonder how much of an exchange you actually had. You literally just have a matching engine, which could show the touch price or the bid and the offer price, but without showing the market depth, which would be, say, if you had someone who was prepared to sell at 20 and then someone else who wanted to sell uh, 20 with the wrong number, say £1 and then someone else wanted to sell at £1.10. There are two price points there. How much volume do you have sat at uh, the £1 relative to £1.10? That would be market debt. So you can see how much volume there is going up at each price point, basically. So I don't know how much of that, how much volume would actually be there on most of the players. I don't know how many people want to leave their buys and sells in the market at any given point that is a really interesting thing actually whether or not yeah because you'd have to stake your money so and people keep talking about how they just can't keep a cash balance so i think i've never really thought about that sweat that way but essentially you know for those listening at home to kind of put in a buy order at say a pound when a player is worth a pound 20 or the highest buy order is a pound 20 and you want to get them at a pound you have to wait till the buys get taken out completely and it goes lower down to a quid. But in doing so, you have to stake however many futures times a pound. So if you wanted 100 futures, you have to put 100 pounds down and that would leave your balance, but it wouldn't come back to you until either you cancel the order or you've bought the player and then you end up selling them. So in terms of stagnation, that could cause quite a lot in terms of cash balances being kind of spread around a bit more thinly. Yeah, it, that's one of the things I was getting at. The way you could do it, though, I, I guess, thinking about it now, they could have a situation whereby maybe you're able to stake the money on three or four players, but if one of the players gets filled, then the orders for the other gets cancelled automatically. So you have 100 quid, there's 100 quid's worth of three players you want to buy. You say you want to buy 100 quid of each of them, but if player A gets filled before player B or C does, then the orders for B and C are automatically cancelled because they know you've, you've not got a balance left to do it maybe yeah, they could arrange something like that potentially yeah there's not really any details on no it's been very matching vague, hasn't it? Be used for. yeah i mean i thought it was dead as i said i was really surprised to hear it mentioned again do you think it's going to be strictly on because we've been talking about only about order books do you think they could be helping fi with their current tech in terms of like their current matching engine yeah, possibly. I mean, they must have a matching engine. Um, yeah. I don't, I'm we wouldn't sure be here, right? <laughs> well, the matching engine could be a guy just watching the orders coming in, <laughs> you know, lining up something on an Excel spreadsheet, but let's hope not. Um, if that's the I case, then you're right. Tech, tech does need to be number one if that's the case. I c- it can't be, surely, if they've... No, in, no, in, no, in, I'm in, sure in it's not. Uh, I'm sure it's not, but they must have a matching engine and they probably developed it themselves. So I, I'd be interested to know what the NASDAQ uh, matching engine can do um, that they really need that they can't do in house. Uh, but I, I, guess I think we'll it's find just out. having a more robust system that works faster. Yeah, they, they also never come out and say specifically what it is causes the crash. I guess you wouldn't, would you? But when they, no one could <laughs> get on when they unsuspended the market, could they? A couple of weeks back, and then they never really said why that was. Is that their matching engine? Is it people logging on? It would be interesting to know what the weak point is. I guess they're not going to tell us though. It's just like ledgers being filled up right too quickly. And then okay. not being able to, I don't know, I, someone at work explained to me how they, how kind of like, you know, with banking, how real-time transactions work. So if you're a Monzo, when you pay for something, it comes straight away into your bank balance. Mm-hmm. 
spot on like some of the other traditional banks you pay for it doesn't show up in your balance for like two or three days yeah that's a that's the interbank that's chips i think it is or yeah. chips in america it, that's it's because all the payments are kind of stacked up and they're done in batches rather than yeah. like instantaneously and maybe fi have that kind of same situation where like they're okay with doing a certain amount of trades in a certain amount of time but not when there's loads and loads and loads of people trying to buy and sell at the same time yeah maybe 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 any other nasdaq comments before we move on no, nothing else to add to that. <laughs> Let's see how that one progresses. <laughs> Next, we want to talk a bit about how a market can develop from here on in and uh, how value is taken out of it. So we've talked about models a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more about kind of both. I wanted to talk about, you know, IPOs in terms of them increasing the price of IPOs, but also the spread a little bit, because I think that has like a really powerful effect on both liquidity and also how mature and efficient a market can be yeah i think with regards to the spread tackling that first i think um the spreads that they're putting on players are unique to each player based on um how much they've paid out on that player um it ties into ipos as well i mean if they are ipo a player um say at a quid and they hope that over the player's lifetime it's only going to pay out 90p in dividends um if they can keep that out in the market that's how they realize that 10p if someone were to buy that player and then through that player's peak, uh, the market bid the player up and then paid out the dividends. And they then instant sold, or the market doesn't need to bid it up, actually. Let's just assume that you, the market doesn't bid it up, so it's just the same price. Say it pays out the dividends, so it pays out, say, 70p in dividends of the 90, but then you instant sell it back to Football Index. They could lose on that bet. So if mm-hmm. they keep the spread wide... Uh, to kind of compensate for the fact that you've won some of the dividends, that would be a way for them to mitigate that scenario. So it's one of the only scenarios where they could lose on something that they sold for ten uh, for one pound when it was only worth ninety p. So I think that that's what they're doing with regards to the spreads. I think they're they're modulating them based on how much they have had to pay out on each player. Um, I think as as well as using them to stop massive market sell-offs. I think that's probably what's going on there. I've noticed that with some of the really cheap players I buy, that if I buy a cheap player that doesn't go anywhere, the spread tends to be quite wide. But if I buy a cheap player that hasn't paid out dividends, that's gone up, and there's been some trading action on it, which means they've collected a couple of 2% fees, I can can actually exit that for 1p, which is the minimum spread. So it doesn't seem to be a price-specific thing, is what I'm saying. It's not just like everyone gets blasted with 3p, um, spreads down at the bottom of the index or maybe 10p spreads up at the top it does seem to be unique to each player again index game probably got all the stats on the spreads so maybe they could look into it and see um if it's got something to do with the payouts because they got the historic payouts it would be really interesting to know do you think that they're then keeping a pnl on each player rather than the market as a whole oh definitely yeah because yeah. If, you, if you look at the ones on each players that's how you each player yeah, that's yeah, how you yeah. make up to the market as a whole what i imagine is a if you imagine like a kind of top trump card and they issue a share um, and it's got values on it from their perspective and they've got maybe a balance or PL maybe on it. So they issue the share, um, say for a pound, and you've got like profit equals pound. And then you've got the other stats on there would be um, amount generated via 2% fees. And so that would add up every single time the share gets traded. So, I mean, you could basically write an equation whereby the profits on the player are equal to the amount the player was initially sold for minus what would it be minus the dividends paid out on them. Um, and then you, you can play around with that model basically to see what scenarios help football index the most. Um, so the more 2% fees you can get. So that's why you have IPDs because they stimulate trading volumes. So you get a lot more coming in basically. But for me, I probably put it in a document because I'm not explaining it very well. But I'll, I'll, I'll put something out there on a that explains what it is that I, what I'm like talking Matt, about. But... This is the podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not um, I'm not doing the best job of explaining it off the top of my head, but it's clearer when I write it down. But I definitely think that they model um, each individual player. They're they're tracking it all, and then once you've got, of course, the profit and loss in each individual share of each individual player that you've sold, then that's when you you know they know their liability to the market. Because essentially it's them versus the market from their perspective. It's not, you know, they'll know which individuals are, are profitable, but from their perspective, they'll, they'll know how much they're taking out of the market. Ultimately, whatever they've sold all the shares out there for, um, uh, they need to be paying out less in dividends over the lifetime of those shares. That's simply how it works. That's how they're making their money. Mm. And you wanted to talk a little bit about forward-looking models and 
versus backward looking models. Do you want to touch on that still? Oh, yeah, I think we touched on it earlier. It was just the yeah, idea that you can model using forecasting going forward using how many stats, basically goals, etc. People do it when they look at PB, right? They look at the um, PB score that a player might get and then look forward. Um, they use their base PB and then try and analyze um, what they might get in the next game. Well, the other way to do it is to take all of the data from a year's worth of PB payouts and then start dissecting through that data to find out which categories it was attributable to, to try and start modeling um, new players on the index based on which categories they're in. So if you were to analyze all the data and say, how much did the forwards make next year? And then you've got a new forward who IPOs and you say, okay, so how much is it going to be worth based on this data? That would be the difference between a forward and a backward looking model. One uses um, the PBs have already been generated and one of them uses player stats and looks forward. Interesting. Interesting. Before we move on to the next question, I'm just going to plug indexgain.co.uk. We've talked about a lot this episode because we've been talking a lot about data, but they've recently launched their Buzz Matrix tool and they've done a lot of work on that. They've basically found out what every player would have scored in every game last season and you know so far this season with the new matrix in mind and i mentioned in the last episode messi would have averaged 47.82 more points neymar 47.18 more points than last season if you guys are looking for some great data great stats and uh, you're looking to get a bit more serious on your football index journey uh, fig 2020 for 50 percent off your first month uh, when you sign up to their premium membership over on indexgame.co.uk what do you think of the new matrix then gavin like we i haven't really talked about it with anyone on the podcast since it kind of came out but um what what your thoughts uh were you impressed or was did it leave you kind of wanting for more it didn't affect what i do basically so i wasn't that bothered about it um i don't i generally tend to try and buy players who are under a pound and who are particularly um young so normally not over 22 years old and I haven't had a defender since I sold Virgil van Dijk. So they're usually strikers or attacking midfielders. So in terms of what they do with goalkeepers, etc., if it added any value to them, then I might have modified what I'm trying to do. But it didn't really affect it because most of those players that I buy that are under a quid, they're not receiving dividend payouts. I mean, out of all the money I've made in it so far, I've only um, received £630 in dividend payouts. The thousands of pounds that I've got have been through capital appreciation. So the, the dividends... By the time a player gets to paying out dividends, whether it's under the old matrix or the new one, I'm probably selling them. It's not something that massively affected me. I did keep an eye on it to see if it would, but I can't see how it will. And I still think it leaves the index biased towards strikers and towards uh, players who score goals. So that's my bias in the portfolio. So it didn't make me want to suddenly start buying loads of defenders. Mm -hmm. So it it didn't have a massive effect. Mm. Why is your strategy based around that? I mean, I'm not not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's something I don't do. Most of my money has come through capital appreciation, but... uh... A lot of people have been talking about that CA versus dividends. I don't know, like, I don't know if it's an argument the two kind of go hand in hand, but why don't you explain your kind of trading strategy a bit more? The younger players should be the most expensive in theory because they're the ones that have the longest left to pay out. Um, I mean, if you think about it, no matter what Lionel Messi pays out over his, his career, once you get to a total figure, let's say over his entire career, Lionel Messi paid out £10, then you know that at the time he IPO'd, that would have been his fair price. And in a rational market, every single time that there is a dividend payout, he should actually lose value because mm. that was the price that was paid for him. It shouldn't, I mean, I don't call it a dividend payout. Psychologically, I call it a clawback. So it's me kind of clawing back the value. Uh, you know, if you want something that's got value, you need the clawback to be higher than 100%. I try and steer clear. Psychologically, I wouldn't use the word dividend payout. I know it's what gets used, but in my head, it's always been a clawback. Um, but what I find is I, I buy the players that I think genuinely are going to yield more than what I pay for them. And most of okay. them tend to be under a pound. So that's why I'm, I'm in that, that market. And then you say, well, the longer they've got to achieve that, the better. So that's why then I'm forced down towards the younger part of the market. But what I find is the market gets to the point where it's, it's giving me like 500, 600% capital appreciation on them long before they get to, by the time they get to 25. And then I'm like, well, I'll sell them and go further down the market again in that case. Sold most other. Um, when he was very high and just moved all the money further down the market. And that's what I continue to do. If it gets to the point where I don't think I'm going to get paid more in dividends than what the market will currently pay me for the player, then Mm -hmm. I'll just sell the player and and move further down the index. And I think that's what Phil Tyro does as well. I think uh, you had him on on the show. If you look at his, uh, he's posted an equity return curve. I wish I tracked my data as well as he does. (laughs) But it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant curve. It's like, it's barely got any drawdown. I think when he got to £40,000, he had like a, a two grand drawdown, which is, is nothing. What does That's that the, mean, a drawdown? 
Drawdown's like the longest losing run, basically, that you have. Okay. So I think two grand on 40 grand is, is pretty good. It's not even, obviously not even 10%. That's me estimating, looking at it. There. But if you go to his webpage, and that's brilliant. That's what everyone wants. It's uh, basically a profit curve that just goes up. <laughs> and it never jags up and down. And it never, yeah, yeah. there's no volatility and there's nothing to make your heart stop. You know, it just goes up. That's fantastic. And that's, I imagine if I plotted mine, it would look probably not that good. Not as good as his, actually, but it would look very similar to it. So... He's a good trader, Phil. Yeah, he's done very well, hasn't he? He has done well. Um, anything else you want to talk about in terms of your uh, trading strategy? I think it's it's always interesting to delve into people's kind of like, you know, ways of working on the index. Yeah, I don't much like IPDs in terms of their intrinsic value. Um, there is some players that do have an, an intrinsic value from IPDs, but at the same time, I'm not going to argue with the market. If there's trading strategies to be had around them, then I'm trying to look into something that allows me to do that as well. Mm. But I haven't, I've never... I've had one IPD payout off of Domingos Kenya, I think, which I wasn't expecting. Um, uh, it's really random. I was like, oh, I get one of these. I wasn't expecting this. Um, when he scored a goal against Cardiff last year, I think it was. But I'm trying to do something that works around them as well so I can make some money out of that. But at the moment, it's, it, I haven't really I've done nothing uh, with them. I can't figure them out the same way other people have. I'm in awe of some of the people who can. Interesting. Phil Tyler, speaking of, he's got a question. Thoughts on the idea being floated about on Twitter that FI can increase dividends to keep the platform growing. Is this sustainable? I don't see it can be sustainable forever, but I think for the, the near term, in the near term being a year or two, yeah, sure, if they keep getting people coming on, so if they've got more and more volume trading, and if they increase the volatility so there's more and more trades, then theoretically they should have more and more profit, and they can increase the dividends, the MB and the PB if they find that that's attracting customers and they want to do it. But ideally, from their perspective, I think they've been quite honest about this as well. And you've had former um, employees on it. It's the IPDs that they'll probably end up focusing on because they make more money on them. Yeah. So I, just, I mean, I don't want it to go that way. I'm not really interested in that, to be honest with mm, you. And I think that would be really risky for their business model, actually. But I've explained on the podcast before, it's just so much easier to replicate. Yes, that's true. That is true. It starts to become the shorter time Me and you could start. Uh, a betting website that's based on ipds tomorrow we wouldn't need any data we could just like troll the internet for goals and assists it would be it wouldn't be hard like do you know what i mean if that becomes the predominant driver of football index i worry for the longevity yeah i would worry as well i mean it's not i wouldn't have joined the platform if it was just a 30-day hold thing I, i'm not really interested in that i like the fact that it's long term and i like the fact that it doesn't have to be instantaneous i like the fact that i don't have to be there clicking on a match day some people do and that's great but i'm not interested in that at all i'd rather hold something and check it every couple of days that's what i find quite appealing about it there has to be a balance doesn't there um between that short-termism and the i think what who was it asp tweeted something really good it was the relationship that short-term and volatile traders have with passive investors so he says he tweeted passive investors provide more stability to the platform active traders provide more volatility to the platform both are needed for fi to work some people do want a mix or mix it up at different times all types of customers engaged with fi is the most important thing and that's probably most it's also important for them in a business sense as well in terms of their profitability yeah, definitely. I mean, the, I, I've no doubt that the IPD people who trade them, the ones who are losing um, when they trade them are probably the people that are paying us who are doing well out of the PB and the MB. So yeah, I, I mean, I can't say stop it, but I wouldn't want to say the thing just continue the platform to go more and more um, along the in-play dividends and less and less along the PB and the MB. And the, the other thing is where you feel a bit sorry for the football <laughs> index is that they can't stop us inflating the market. If people want to pay premium yeah. For, yeah. for revenue streams, they, what are they going to do? They're not going to keep putting MB and PB um, increases. They're just going to have to let the market settle and decide what premium it wants to pay for the near-term cash flows, yeah. basically. What do you think they could do to be a bit more creative than just like a dividend increase share split in the future? We've talked about kind of the decimal point thing. And I think people have floated the idea around of kind of like having a situation where you have like commissions taken into a pool from a, like a, a day of trading and a portion of those are attributed to like an extra add-on dividend. I really like that. I think the commissions one is, is the way they could be more creative. Um, I know it's, you know, I don't have anything unique to add, but I think that would work. And I think that would work in a, a final market maturity model as well. When you get to the point where it's not growing anymore, um, I think that that is one thing they could do, uh, they could implement. And then you could maybe make, I don't know, the, the winner of the Champions League, uh, you know, Champions League final day, maybe you could make into something where there's a special payout, cups, special payouts, if you wanted to add things like that that would also maybe in increase the appeal somewhat. 
Yeah, there's loads of things I think they could do. Um, it's just kind of balancing that up with the, the complexity of the platform, I guess. Do you think it's too complex at the moment? I mean, yes, probably, to be honest with you. I don't know what, they can't get rid of any of the elements they've got in there. They did it, I think it was a really good idea to get rid of the top 200 receiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant, but I don't know how they get rid of the other ones. But it's not just complex, it's quite diffuse. It's actually quite hard to find the information and the up-to-date yeah. information. This is one of the downsides of them being mainly a presence on Twitter. Is Twitter and those sorts of platforms are great for instantaneous communication, but they're not good for logging things. If you want to actually go and find like game rules, etc., you're not likely to find it on Twitter. I went to try and find some videos earlier to do with the share split. It's not as easy as just going to a website, basically. Uh, their website and their app have got a lot better in the last couple of months with regards to explaining the up-to-date rules. But in, in some cases, last year, they were lagging well behind what the rules actually were. Um, so, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's ridiculous for new users, right? If they log yeah. on and they, they don't know what it is they're actually trading, that's not good. Mm-hmm. What about tiered PB? We've talked about that's been a, talked to a lot about on Twitter before and from people, but uh, you, you don't really like it. Oh, well, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't think it'll happen because, you, again, it would kill the volatility for them because it, it tiered PB would be, mean that the payouts for any individual are more frequent. So they're less likely to get fed up and shuffle the money around. Yeah. And that will kill the volatility. And then you don't get their 2% fees frequently. So they're not going to implement it. Um, players are better now at um, the variance is, is something that players weren't particularly good at a, a year ago. So if a player didn't score for three or four games on the trot, the market would, would sell them off irrationally. And they didn't understand the fact that you get variance with players. Whereas now you've got Index Game, for instance, it's got a luck metric on it, which tells you whether they, the player was just unlucky based on maybe their PB payout, would they normally have won? Maybe the player did really well, but because Neymar had a screamer that day, um, he didn't win. And that might happen to the same player three times in a row. One day it's Neymar who beats him, one day it's Messi. And so the player doesn't win and the market was irrationally selling him off. If you look at the luck metric on index gain, that'll help counteract that. But that variance um, of payouts is, from FI's perspective, is a good thing because when people start to lose faith in a player, they will chop and change more. If you have tiered PB, they won't chop and change as much. So that's why I think it's an absolute no-go, and I'm, I suspect that's why they won't do it. Um, they've said that, I think, on record as well on one of my podcasts that I don't oh, think really? would ever happen. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting that people keep bringing it. I think it could happen. It oh, really? Could, it, I think I could actually... Like, I reckon um, if you wanted to attract people that are going to bring in the big bucks, right, which we'll probably talk about later, that maybe tiered PB was, would be something that would be attractive to FI. Because obviously, like the way their business model currently works is that they can still use deposits, right? To do mm-hmm. with what they are, not deposits, but money that's invested, quote unquote, into football index or bought players with. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see them doing it, but it'd be interesting to see. Are you um, going to get them back on the show at some point? Are they going to come back on? And- I may or may not be this month. Okay. So let's okay. keep a lid on that one for now. Um, we'll see where that goes. There's a chance. Let's just say there's a chance. Okay. Yeah, that'll be fun, hopefully. <laughs> um, cool. Let's move on now and talk a little bit about in-play dividends because we've touched on them, but again, not really delved deep. What are your thoughts? Have We've already talked about kind of like the business model side of things, but in terms of the trading aspect, what, what are your thoughts here? I mean, there's people who make a lot of money out of trading them uh, and trading the volatility around them. And I wouldn't knock that if, you know, it's a great trade if you can make money out of it, basically. But I don't think they themselves have, for most, they don't have much intrinsic value, most of them. Again, Football Index are pretty much telling you as much when they say they make a lot of money out of them. So if they're making a lot of money out of them, the market obviously isn't. So you've had a former employee on, I think, who's, who's told you that they make a lot of money out of them. And Football Index indicated around the share split time that they kind of hinted, you know, we have less liability on these because it's 30 days. So I'm not a massive fan. If you look at the, the maths behind it, then you've got an instant fee of what would be 2% plus spread that you've got to overcome. Um, so I, obviously the market knows that they're going to be better for players that are lower down the index. Yeah. Uh, but then if you look at how much a player actually scores over a 30-day period, I mean, you're probably looking for times where it's just fixed to congestion yeah. for you to actually be able to make intrinsic, like an actual return without actually the price having to move upwards as well from other people coming in. For you to just make a return on the dividends, so the dividend that you get paid out being more than your exit cost, you're going to have to get a pretty decent player who's cheap 
um, and you're going to have to get them probably around November time. So you hit that congestion. And so there really isn't much intrinsic value in them beyond beyond that play. Uh, if there's anyone out there who does it more often, he's an expert at it, I you know, defer to them. But when I looked into it, it was more, if I was going to do it, it was going to be to trade the volatility. It wasn't going to be because I thought there was much intrinsic value. I think a lot of people do, to be fair. Uh, they yeah. do they do trade in that nature the, the thing about ipds is there isn't actually that many good 30-day periods because we've got the september international break the october one and then the january or march march sorry so there's three really close together like there's quite a few breaks and then you've got the winter breaks in in all the leagues apart from the premier league um so there's loads of breaks and there's not actually that many good 30-day periods if you know that what i mean no having looked into it as well i came to the conclusion that there really aren't obviously you're probably hoping to land a team or to look at a team that's got um additional matches that'll get paid out so uh, i think maybe europa league or or champions league as well so you've got a a better 30-day period but then if you get into the champions league how many of those players are going to be below a quid so you know the trading fees are going to be higher as a result because that two percent is, is higher but obviously the the 1p payouts don't scale with the the player price so mm. the fee to enter the trade gets higher um as the players get better yeah and also <sighs> there's that situation where they don't want to add decimals and if they're like oh crap actually loads of these players are kind of not really moving that much around anymore because people don't want to buy them because they're high prices if they want to raise the dividends or the IPDs, then they're going to have to raise them by a penny or, you know, cut by the current way. Um, yeah. Do you trade IPDs? I, I do. I do. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I do, but I don't do it specifically for the dividend return. No, exactly. So it's the volatility. I mean, I've seen you do the roller. The roller is very impressive. I mean, I couldn't the, the I wouldn't figure out. I wouldn't figure uh, out. What, the bank that. builder? Yeah, the bank builder. You're just rolling the profit. I mean, that, yeah. but I guess then try, once you hit the best. one, once you, <laughs> once you hit a high number with that, right? You, I mean, once you start getting up to what thousand pound mark, then it gets harder and harder to fit it into the market, right? It, it does. Yeah, that the the squad builder is the one that I try and focus more on those thirty day periods because it is like th- holding them for thirty days, and then it's kind of like, well, I will take the cap at, but you know, I'm trying to show that if you pick wisely, you can make decent money from returns as well as like. The actual cap app but with the bank builder yeah it, it depends like the last episode i did if you guys want to check it out i basically just flipped a few premier league games in play and then there was one where i flipped the i think a south korean striker from uh, amion he went from 18p <laughs> to 22p and it actually i made like a, a significant amount of money considering i bought like 250 futures so it can definitely work to a to a good effect but especially with players like that right if you bought him and kept him I know the spread isn't great, but you're looking at a penny back on an 18p outlay, which is percentage-wise a decent return. Yeah, I mean the problem is the you can't get much on the position, right? I mean if you yeah. could make two two percent, three percent regularly, you'd be happy. The problem is you you probably want to be doing that with about ten to twenty grand if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna make it worth your while. If you can only get two to three hundred quid on, I, I know it's probably more than two to three hundred quid now because you can get more on since the split, but. I don't know. And then again, on a personal level, I'm not really interested in, in sitting there and, and having to act that fast every single Saturday. Um, there's another reason I don't like IPDs. I like MB and PB because you can look at the platform two or three times a week and, mm. and still trade that. Mm. I think as, as ASP tweeted, we, we do need a mix of both, don't we? Um, yep. Next up, we're going to talk about your failings. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a note. It's just the things that, I mean, I know I'm not very good with media buzz. Um, I've messed that up a couple of times. I, I thought I'd sold Virgil van Dijk at the right time, and then suddenly he went on to start picking up media points as well. So I'm really not very good at, at modelling that at all. Or, or Everyone I, I hold is basically because they're undervalued from a PB perspective, and then I just look at the, the MB as being kind of a, a bonus game that gets played on top. It's certainly helping drive the prices up, but I might be selling players that are undervalued on, a, on an MB play, you know, perspective. Um, I definitely never would have seen Paul Pogba coming. I don't follow the newspapers enough to know that he was going to be that good but there's loads of people out there who knew he was going to be a gold mine so I'm trying to get better at it but i'm not uh I'm are, not you, are you a big football it. fan then yeah I, i'm pretty big i'm a liverpool fan so oh. I've, uh, it's been a great uh, it was a great, great, season great 18 season. months for you then yeah so my brother used to work for blackburn and bolton when in the oh, Premier wow. league what did he do uh, he was a sports scientist. Oh, wow. Interesting. And so he's quite useful when it comes to helping to pick out players. <laughs> um, so I do the math side of it and he, he uh, does the, the raw talent side of it. So that's quite handy. So yeah, I've always been, I've always followed it, but I'm not, 
you know, I see some people post stuff about the way teams set up and stuff, and they're right. And I, I'm never going to pick that up watching it. If it weren't for the fact that you could use uh, maths on the platform, I'd be rubbish at it. To be yeah. With you. Last episode, speaking to Football Index Frog, he he's like a football obsessed. He uh, loves it so much, and you could just hear it through how he speaks when you listen to that one. You'll, uh, or if you haven't to, uh, done already, uh, do check it out. Last episode. Last question: FI Headhunter. This is going to be an interesting one. He's asking about institutional investment in sports trading as an asset class. I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that institutions would want to invest in sports uh, trading as an asset class because, and this is based on something there's a guy I follow called Peter Webb at Bet Angel who once explained that there's just not enough market liquidity. Um, it, this is talking about Betfair markets. Um, when I looked into it, what he said seemed to be correct. So if you're successful as a trader and you can turn over a lot of bets in a day, um, you'll soon find that your own bank expands to the point that you, like we were saying with the IPDs, you, you've got more money than you can actually get into the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point then becomes, why would you set up a hedge fund where you're going to be taking in tens of millions, of hundreds of millions, if someone who's got, say, maybe 100,000 can't get that into the bets? So I don't know if there's something I'm missing. With Betfair, could that be because the, the liquidity providers aren't large enough? Well, I mean, the liquidity providers are generally the traders who are making the markets. The point is there's not enough on the other end but of the trade. there are also third-party liquidity providers that provide liquidity. Yeah, but they'll be doing it for a profit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the point is they, these are the guys we're talking about. There's only so much – they'll be providing liquidity. There's only so much, if you like, liquidity they can provide. If a hedge fund comes along, some of the markets, they could take all the liquidity. And you could look at it from the perspective of trading across every single Betfair market at once. So if you think you've got an edge in it, then yeah, I'm sure you could deploy millions, if not tens of millions. That would be one way. But I don't know with Football Index. We don't really know how, how large the market is. None of us mm. have an idea, but it's certainly not the size of Betfair. And no, yet, no. to my knowledge, there aren't people who are hedge funds that do it on, on Betfair. There are certainly syndicates. And I have heard that the Asian bookies will take huge bets. Uh, but I don't, beyond actually having heard that sentence, I don't know their capabilities. I think there was, a, there was a brilliant thing on the BBC the other night actually called um, Can You Beat the Bookies? Um, <laughs> and it had a guy who was doing court siding in tennis and it also mentioned a group called Star Lizard that had made a, a ton of money and the guy looked, I think he owns, I think the owner owns Brighton actually, the owner of Star Lizard. So, Star, yeah, they're big on Betfair, aren't they? Are they? This is the thing. I was going to say, I don't actually know where they trade. I think they might be like a big, uh, what, Star Lizard or B- Wizard? I thought it was Star Lizard. I'd have to go back and look again. I hadn't heard of them before that, but the guy seemed to have made an absolute killing. And I was thinking to myself, God, he must have put a lot through the market. So maybe, maybe you can get tens of millions, 20 million, you know, a day uh, onto positions. Um, no, but I don't know. But I, I would be surprised if some of the institutions who put hundreds and literally hundreds of millions get moved around. I would be surprised if they're thinking of coming to the sporting markets. But then you never know with America supposedly opening up. Mm. Uh, there was some law that got par- uh, beat or defeated over there last year. If the whole of the states open up, then that would be massive. Yeah, so that would be. We could li- be looking at like, you know, not only 10x growth, but, but you know, multiples of that. If you've yep. got basically, you know, the amount of liquidity that's in the UK markets times how many people are in there in America, like 400 million, right? Yep. Um, 80 million in the UK? Possibly. I'm not, I'm not actually I'm not. fantastic with <laughs> geography or stats um, or those stats. Round about that. So we're talking about a market that's four times bigger, right? And that have so many other sports. So yeah, I don't know. I'm slightly more romantic in, in that aspect than you are, I think. I think maybe it could happen. We never know. I'd like to see it happen from the perspective that anyone who's holding the players when that amount of volume comes in is almost certainly going to see an uplift. Um, but then at the same time, the bigger the positions you can get on, the more sophisticated the operations are that yeah. show up. And so, you know, <laughs> an Excel model is definitely not going to help me then. Um, there'll be people, <laughs> be people with, with uh, you know, MIT PhD degree students basically who are doing it then. So that's the, one of the downsides of being in a market that's got that much liquidity uh, is that the players you're up against are much more sophisticated. Well, Gavin, I think that's a, a wonderful point to round up on. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we let you go? No, that was brilliant. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, where can people find out more about you? You can check my Twitter account if you want. I don't tweet that often, but when I do, it will probably be a, a document or something because it's, <laughs> it's, it's better than having a character count um, uh, to explain things. But yeah, feel free. And what's your at? It's at taking value, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on, man. If you guys are on your commute right now, 
thank you very much for listening and i hope this speeds up your commute especially if it's gets warmer again as it was like roasting a month or so ago uh commuting in that weather's not the best if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing if you're currently working as fi gardener will we'll be doing and probably shortly posting up a photo on twitter of the the newly mown uh, garden that he's just done uh then well, you know have fun doing whatever you're doing sorry we didn't get to answer all your questions there was as always quite a few if you guys haven't subscribed to the show already what are you waiting for please do subscribe and if you already have done tell your friend about the Figcast or tell a friend about a Figcast and football index pass it along and uh, leave a review of the show why not it helps me out a lot thank you very much for listening everyone cheers <laughs>